You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. Some of you know who I am, but I think many of you don't, so so that I'm not a distraction and you're not listening and wondering who I am the entire sermon. I'm Kyle. My last name's Hunter. I live kind of in Edmonton right now. I'm uh, living with my mom uh, in her basement, actually, so that's kind of been the joke lately as I'm living the dream in Edmonton uh, with my mom. So I've got uh, wife, Julie, and three kids, and... um, uh, by God's grace, Lord willing, we will be planting a church very soon in the Edmonton area with the GCC. And so that's, that's us. That's, that's me this morning. I get a chance to preach. Uh, your lead pastor, Pastor Trevor, is uh, sick this morning, so he's unable to be here, and so I am. Uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 13. Maybe it's on the screen there for you, John chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at and honing in on two verses, verses 34 to 35. John 13, 34 to 35, and the title of uh, today's sermon is, Lord, help me walk in love. Lord, help me walk in love. So again, John 13, 34 to 35, and let me read it aloud, and then uh, we'll dive into this together. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, maybe many of us, maybe all of us has read that passage before, heard it read before, uh, heard sermons on it before, maybe very familiar with this passage of one of the one another's to love one another. The context of what Jesus has just spoken is extremely important to what he's just said. So it's at the beginning of Jesus' farewell speech So really, chapters 13, the beginning of this farewell speech, on to chapter 17, kind of through that, is his last speech before he is about to go to the cross. And so this is what he gives. He gives in this, the beginning of this, this command to love. Now, as well what we know, he gives this command to love, and he is giving again his farewell speech in the context, knowing full well to people like this morning. And he says, he looks at these friends of his and he says, love one another. But he knows and he's full aware that Judas, who's right there with him, would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him three times. He knew that Peter and James and John, these ones closest to him, would fall asleep at his greatest time of need. All the disciples would desert him and run, and he knew that. He would be arrested by the government, wrongfully so, falsely accused, given false witness against an illegal trial, 
Jesus was about to go to the pit. And this, in fact, is the greatest weight that he would have carried in the beginning of this farewell speech. He was about to take on sin, to become sin for them, for all of mankind who would trust in him. He was about to be forsaken by his father, crushed, punished, darkness and guilt and shame, tortured, crucified for sin. And he gives this command, love one another. He walks in love. I wonder what the message would be for you. What message would you give in that context? What would your farewell speech be? in light of that, in light of what you were going to be doing for these people? What would the beginning of your speech look like? You know, we all have contexts, we all have stories, each and every one of us, and, and I would say in particular those closest to us, we, we've been betrayed, we've been hurt, people have been thankless, people we trusted, we found to be trust, uh, untrustworthy, those we needed to be found sleeping, in our time of need, those closest deserting and suffering at the hands of others. And so, will we walk in love? And Christ says in this context, he says, will you walk in love? And, and we would say, Lord, help me walk in love. Help me to do this, Lord, help me. But the text, if you see it here, the text is actually stronger than that. The text commands it. And this is really the big idea this morning from these two verses is this, we must love one another. This is stronger than Lord help me. This is a we must do it. And so look at verse 34 again. The beginning of verse 34, it says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. He says, a new command I give to you. Why a new command? I mean, isn't this, isn't this an old command? Like, is this, is this a brand new thing that he's brought up? Love, love one another, and they've, they've never heard of this before? Well, it's an old command. This is, this is like 1,500 years old. It's over 1,000 years old. Leviticus 19, 18, they would have been familiar with this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This idea of loving God and loving others is not a, not a new thing. So what does he mean when he says a new command? Well, he's saying not new in the sense of a recent or different, like maybe the mask mandate, or maybe more particular, who would have ever thought there would have been a day that the command would have been given, a brand new command, if you're going to go to a bank, make sure to wear a mask. All right, that, that's a new command. I don't know in the history of the, of, of the earth if that's ever happened before. Well, th- this is not new in that sense. This is new more in the sense of it's, it's fresh. It's fresh, and it's newly introduced. And so, what is Jesus saying? Well, he's going to give fresh application to an old command. This is similar, similar language to the Sermon on the Mount. You get Matthew 5, where he gives the command to love even your enemies. This is now like a, a fresh application to an old command. 
Luke 10, love your neighbor, even strangers, as much as a, a Samaritan would, or you would to a Samaritan, someone who's you know, considered a half-breed. And so Jesus says now in John 13, he's doing the same thing. He says, love one another. And it's as if he's, he's turning up the intensity on this command. Well, how do we love one another? How do we do this? This is impossible. It's like Jesus is turning up the intensity. And if you're feeling this and if you're listening to this and if you're trying to apply this, you have to be at some point saying, this is impossible. I mean, Jesus maybe on, you know, on, on the eve of being crucified could do this, but me, how? This is impossible. And you may find yourself like me at times trying to find motivation in different ways. You know, trying to pull up your bootstraps and, well, get to work. I, just, I know I'm supposed to do it. I, I just need to try to do this. And then even the weight of like, well, Jesus even said it, so I've got to figure it out. The motivation sometimes can be, what would Jesus do? The WWJD. I'm not saying throw out all your bracelets if you still have those. But that motivation can only go so far. The motivation really ought to be, what has Jesus done? What has he done? Who is Jesus? So how do we do this impossible work? Well, what has he done? Well, he's fulfilled the command. You see, Jesus is giving this command, and when he gave it, he was about to go to the cross, and he was about to fulfill the command to love one another. He was about to do what none of us can do, in fact. And so the command has been fulfilled. He gives the command, and he is fully aware and intimately aware of what he's commanding. He's not just throwing out commands because he likes bossing people around. No, he knows full well what this means and what he's asking them because he knows what he's about to do. He knows what it means to love one another. He is the fulfillment of this command. Jesus loved the Father perfectly. He did that. He loved his Father perfectly and obeyed him and came willingly as an obedient son. He loved us perfectly. We looked at this earlier. We didn't look at it. We didn't have time, but just to bring your attention to it, earlier in the chapter, he washed their feet. He loved them perfectly in humility. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. But primarily, what he did is he loved them by giving himself. He loved us by dealing with our sin, not just dealing with our feet. He dealt with our sin, and he did it perfectly. Jesus loved us perfectly like none other could, like no other person could. Only someone fully God and fully man could love as Jesus has loved us. He didn't just try, he got it done. He is our substitute. He is the perfect replacement for us for our sins, being punished completely, bearing the full wrath of God, not leaving just a little bit undone. He dealt with it perfectly. He rose again, not, not wounded, not limping, but he rose completely and in new life, proving he was this good sacrifice. So Jesus Christ has fulfilled this perfectly in loving us completely. And then he gives us his righteous life. Only Jesus lived a righteous life. Only Jesus could do what I can't do. 
He did it perfectly. He didn't get most of the way to the righteousness of God. He is, in fact, the righteousness of God, and he lived it out perfectly. So he has done this. He's obeyed the command for us. And so this is good news. This is good news because now the way is made to God that we would be able to know God and love God and love others. But it is only by what Christ has fulfilled for us. Now, maybe to illustrate in some respects, one of my favorite jobs uh, growing up, well, particularly in the high school, was building fence uh, for a farmer. And so building this fence, it's, it's interesting. Um, the farmer is the one that gave me the command to do this. It turned out to be one of my favorite jobs of all time. You're out in the middle of nowhere just pounding posts. And the farmer gave me these instructions. He gave me the instructions to build the fence, not because he was bored one day because farmers don't do anything. No. He, it's not because he was a cranky farmer and he's just wanting to boss me around and I think, here's your command, you should build a fence. No. He knew the importance of building a fence. He gave the command because it meant something. It was a good command and he was intimately involved, intimately understanding. This man had already pounded a gazillion posts in Saskatchewan. They're probably still standing today for miles and miles. And he gave me this command. Kyle, I need you to build a fence. He owned the farm. He owned the tractor. He owned the posts and the post pounder and the barbed wire and the hammers and the stakes and the pliers and on and on and on. And he'd already done it. And he'd already got his hands dirty. And he'd already paved the way. Jesus has got his hands dirty. God does not just give us commands because he's bossy or he's bored. This is a good command. And Jesus has fulfilled the command. He's got his hands dirty. He's took our place on the cross. No one can do that but Christ. He's been punished perfectly for us, rose, and he credits us righteous life. This is a good command. And it's because the obedience of this command by Christ that we can know God. Amazing. Amazing. And maybe when you hear a command, maybe right away you go into thinking, oh no, not a command. This is a good command. This is from God and is good. And so this is a command we strive for. It leads us to our second point, and it's this. This is not only our command, but it's our experience. This is our experience. Look at verse 34. The last half of that verse, he goes on and says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Okay, well, how has Jesus loved us? How has Jesus loved us? A popular song, right? Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How has he loved you? How would you answer that? How has Jesus loved you? You need to know the answer to that. Do you know the answer to that question? How would you answer that this morning? How has Jesus loved you? Not the person beside you, you. Well, you may answer with something that's a surface experience answer potentially. 
And it's not necessarily a wrong answer, but I, I want you just to be aware that it could be a, just a surface experience answer. If you remember again the immediate context of this, so it's his farewell speech, but before he said this, he had done something. And if you look in verse 5, the beginning of chapter 13, uh, he washes their feet. He washes their feet. And you can just imagine being there. Imagine even being Judas and knowing what you were going to do and having your feet washed. I mean, these, by the Son of God, these, these are experiences that we would say nowadays, that's, that's a life-changing experience. In many ways, I'm sure it was. He washed their feet. So we could take that. We could say, that was life-changing, and, and I'm going to love as Jesus loved me, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start washing feet. And in fact, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to call it a spa, and it's going to be a, a foot-washing spa. It's going to be a, a spa church, and we're going to wash feet like none other. We're going to love Jesus by washing feet. And I would say, um, in some ways, that would be good. I mean, I have teenage kids, and washing feet is really important. Told my oldest boy to do that yesterday immediately. There's no time to waste. So f- washing feet's not wrong. And having that experience, not wrong. And fa- washing others' feet, no. I would say that would even be good. But when Jesus said, love as I have loved you, he wasn't thinking primarily of foot washing. He wasn't thinking primarily of good things. Experiences are good, but not the great thing. You could ask me, how do I know my wife loves me? Well, I think it was like three days ago, I was uh, sitting looking over uh, this text, and she brought me a coffee. Well, there you have it. Now I know she loves me. And it was a decent cup of coffee. It wasn't weak. It was still hot. And so there you have it. But you know, and if you're married and what we know of marriage, well, that is good, and that is even loving. It was loving. It was thoughtful. But our love is deeper than that. I mean, how do I know she, she loves me? Well, it's, it's really got a lot to do with what I have on my finger here, this ring. She has covenanted with me. She's committed to me, which is a whole other sermon in itself, which models God's love for us, the deep love of the gospel. And so I want you to hear this. Do not be content with a surface experience of God's love. Do not be content with that and then love only by that. When we love one another primarily with these kind of surface experiences of God's love in mind, it will be loving, it will be good, but it will be weak. Our love for one another will be weak. And it won't look much different than the world in moments when they love in in some good ways that are godly. How has Jesus loved you? Well, you can answer this question with a deep experience of God's love. When Jesus said, love as I have loved you, he was thinking primarily of the cross, not foot washing. He was referring to and thinking of the greatest display of love that would ever be shown and ever has been shown and ever could be shown. This this work that he would do on the cross in his resurrection that would 
affect your very soul. That would affect the the deepest part of who you are as a sinner apart from from him. He he knew full, full well, full knowledge, and he knows you today of every intimate detail of your life. He knows that you and I are sinners. Not just having done some things, but it is who we are. Haters of God, adulterers to God, deniers, betrayers, dead in our sin, corpses in the bottom of the ocean. He knows this. Unable, not floundering on the surface, unable to be helped or help ourselves in any way. But yet in that, Christ is our help. Yet Christ loved us. He loved us. He gave himself to save us. He's punished again in our place. His righteous life credited to us. We don't deserve these things. This is the the deep need that we had, and he's given it to us. Forgiveness of sin and righteousness credited to you. You and I cannot attain it. No one can grasp that except those who are in Christ because Christ grasped it. Christ is it. God is love. Jesus rose and now he's interceding for you. In the moment when you come to Christ, Jesus is your go-between, between you and God. He intercedes. He says, this is me for him, for her. And he continues every second of your life in Christ interceding for you. He sits on the throne and he's coming again as king to take us with him. I mean, this is love. We do not deserve it, but, but this is love. And you can bank on it. And so when we love, when we love one another, and this is primarily in our hearts and our minds, then we're truly loving one another. Then this is a love that the world does not have. This is love. Now, every love song wants this. Every love song wants this type of commitment and security and, and love despite who you are, the approval. They're all wanting it. They're all singing it. But no one has it except from God through Christ. And in our culture, we've decided, too, that we can define love. So we're going to sing about it, but we don't really know how to find it. And we're going to define it. Love is love, we say. Love is love. Now, many people have done awful things in the name of love. And many people have had awful things done to them in the name of love. Love is not love. God is love. And we do not have the authority to define love. God defines love. And this is good news that someone has defined love for us. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. Notice, even in verse, or sorry, in 1 John 4.10, notice where love comes from first. It comes from God. That God loved us. 
Love comes from him first. If it's love, you know this. If it's love, it came from God. No matter what the context, if, it came, if it's love, then it came from God. Love is understood by God. It is defined by God through the gospel of Jesus, period. And this is extremely good news. And so this is our command. This is our experience. And lastly, this is our witness. Verse 35, he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So he's saying there, they're, they're going to know that you're believers. By our love for one another, that's how they're going to know. Now, there's a whole host of ways people can know that you're a believer, a disciple of Jesus. Right, maybe you've, you've told them, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you've just been straight out told them. That, that would be one way. Maybe by the fruit in your life, people are like, hey, there, there's something I'm seeing. Your conduct in the world. Maybe as we worship, as we gather, as the people of God to worship, and people maybe come and visit and they witness what's happening and they say, man, like, I'm starting to understand who you worship, who you're a disciple of. But all will know. He says here, all people will know by how we love one another. See, some will know in different ways, but he says, all will know by how we love one another. It seems to hit the broadest audience. And I think it's because it's not normal. This is supernatural. This, this, is, this is impossible apart from the gospel. And why is it important that people would know that we're disciples of Jesus? I mean, why? So they can just put us in a camp? Uh, we can just, you know, put a badge on us and say we're a disciple of Jesus? Well, it's assumed here that if, if someone knows that, that I am a disciple of Jesus, that you're a disciple of Jesus, then they're going to know who our master is who Jesus is, and then they're going to know the love of God and the gospel. And so do people know that we are Christ's disciples? Do people know, this is, um, I'm assuming for most of you, maybe some of you are visiting, but this would be your local church. These are the people that um, God has brought together into your life that you would be fellowshipping with. In how you love one another, do people know that you are Christ's disciples or maybe a different disciple? He says, how will they know? He says, again, verse 35, you can see it there, if you have love for one another, if you have, if you, he's saying if you own it, possess it, it's yours. It's sort of like the idea of if you see someone with like athletic ability or musical talent, you see them. And, and you say, man, listen to them play the piano. Man, they just, they, they just have it. They just got it kind of thing. That's the idea of this word. It's like you, you either have it or you don't. So, so do, you, do you have it? And, and the love that he's speaking of there is that like agape love, that, that goodwill towards others, that brotherly affection, uh, that high regard. Now, for me growing up, we never said, I shouldn't say we never. We, we, we didn't say often, I love you. I don't know why. I think that's just we thought we were really tough 
uh, small town boys or something, and it was gushy and not very manly to say I love you. Just so you know, I disagree with that. And so maybe you're looking at this and saying, oh, agape love, I can, I can tell now, my friends, I have a high regard for you, because that's what agape love is, and I can get away from that love stuff. No, no, no. We love with a high regard, and we do love, and we will say we love. And, and, and do we have that kind of a love, that type of affection, not just based on emotions, but it's like, I will give my life for you, love. Now, first of all, very simply this, if you have it, it's different than, than the musical ability. Some people don't. Some people do. I don't. My daughter does. And it's going to stay that way. But this is different. If you, if you have it, and we all can have this love for one another, if you have it, you got it from God. You didn't get it from yourself. You're not just kind of a lovey person, and you kind of got that thing, and you are gushy, and you like to say, I love you. No, no, no. If you have love, hear this. It is only because you got it from God. And so when others see it, this is why it's our witness. They don't just see me as I love people. They don't say, wow, you, Kyle, look at you and what you have done. They don't just see yourself and say the same. How often have we, have we loved people? And maybe as you love each other, people see it. And they're like, man, that's, that's different. Like, you are so, maybe they would say, generous. Maybe some of you do that better than me. I don't know if I've ever had someone say that to me. <laughs> Things that maybe by God's grace, people really see it in you. You know, are so thoughtful and kind. And it is tempting to take credit for that. It's tempting to be like, you know what, I think I, I am actually kind of like that. And well, you know, and we just try and do what we can. And, and it's tempting, and I'll admit it's attempting to get approval. It's attempting to be recognized and to take credit for something that's not ours. It's not mine. We can take none of it. It doesn't come from us. It comes from our master, Jesus Christ. If people see these things in us, we ought to be thinking, what you are seeing is not from me. You are witnessing Christ. The greatest thing Satan would love is for us to do what I've done most of my life, is just get in the way. And like, well, yeah, it's Jesus, but man, that was sure, sure nice to hear that you think I'm thoughtful. And to be more concerned about what they think of us than what they think of our Savior. If they see love among us, then they're witnessing Christ. And so I want to just end with um, kind of some application here. So here are some ways our love for one another shows God's love. Now, um, I kind of have have written these in a way that's, that's almost more like, a, I guess, a statements or like a, something you would hear people say. Okay, so I'm going to just give you some examples of how this might look, how, how our love for one another would be a witness, potentially. And so we may say, I will treat you the same as everyone else. You'll, you'll say to someone, I'll treat you no different no matter if you have a vaccine or not a vaccine, no matter your political position, no matter if you're an enemy, which I think is easier to love than a family member who treats you like an enemy, 
No matter uh, if you're a stranger or close to me, no matter what, I will treat you no different. Why? And and this is the big uh, difference. This matters so much. Why? Well, because we all need the same amount of Christ's blood to cover our sin. We need the same body of Christ to take our place. We, you and I, need the same cross. We need the same resurrection of Jesus. We need the same righteousness of God to cover us. Some people don't need more or less. We all need the same. And so the gospel brings us together. The gospel levels the playing field. It says all who come to Christ will not be turned away. They will find rest. And so we love and we, we don't do as our, our tolerant world is doing, is dividing like none other. We bring it to Christ. And so maybe we'd say, you, you don't deserve my love. You don't deserve it. And I can tell you a, a million different ways in which you don't deserve it, but I will serve you. Why? Because King Jesus humbled himself. We, we read, Joel had read there uh, on the screen, Philippians 2. Our King Christ, God Almighty, humbled himself and became a servant for us, though we don't deserve it. Though to me, the lowest, to us the lowest. You're uncommitted, but I will be committed to you. Why? Because God will never leave me or forsake me. You're driving me crazy, but I will be patient with you. Why in the world? Because I'm a patient person? No, because Christ intercedes for my repeated sins all the time. You're stingy. I will be generous. Why? Because I have everything I need in Christ. I have God. I am rich. And we begin to love one another. You're ungrateful, unkind, unaware. I will forgive you. Why? And it is not because I'm kind of just a forgiving kind of person. And if that's the reason, that's a weak reason. Why? Because Christ forgave my sins that were against Him, against God my Father, that were infinitely worse than anything you could ever do to me. So I will forgive. And so in these things, as we love one another, we have the gospel in mind, and we truly begin to love one another. This is then the gospel on display, the love of God on display. And so this doesn't happen by just trying harder. If you leave today and you say, I just need to, man, this is tough. I'm going to have to just really work hard at this. It doesn't happen by that. When Christ said love one another, I I believe he was speaking particularly to the disciples. He was talking about their love as believers for one another primarily. I've already said it, but that is maybe the hardest context in which to love. The people that are hardest to love are the ones that we're invested in, in some way. How in the world do we do this? Well, we do this through the gospel. We do this um, through faith in Christ and an understanding of our God. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
with our eyes fixed on our God. That's how we do it. And wow, what a witness. What a privilege. What a command. You know, what an experience that we would be privileged to have. And so we must love one another. It's our command, our experience, our witness. And we would say, Lord, help us then walk in love. So with that in mind, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, even now we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus, by the shed blood of Jesus, by the finished work of Christ for our sins. Father, we come confidently because of Christ, not because of us. And so, Father, we come and we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I, I, I thank you for uh, this body here this morning, uh, these brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that you would uh, help us, help me to love one another. Father, remind us of the gospel. Lord, remind us again that this command to love is a good command. It is a good command fulfilled by Christ. Lord, remind us that we, we have a love that we can share that's infinitely deeper than just the surface things of of washing feet, Father, that um, we would love in such a way that would be a witness of your great love for us. So, Lord, help us to do that. Stir our hearts to do that. Lord, it is an impossible thing, and the context of our day would seem to say that, um, or maybe illustrate all the more, and maybe that's good, that this is not possible. But, Father, in you it is. And, uh, and so, Father, help us to love. And, uh, and Father, we, we pray that your spirit would work this and apply this in our hearts the way that you, you need to in your wisdom as our counselor. Uh, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.